The first reading for today is from Psalms chapter 2, verses 6 to 8. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. The next reading is from Luke chapter 2, verses 25 to 32. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. No, I didn't use a mic, but I heard one g'day back. That was nice. How you all doing? Good. Hey, uh, my name is Ben. I am one of the youth pastors here at Cary, and it is great to be up here sharing with you today. Uh, it's great to see all four of my youth here. We'll talk about how I'm failing in my job later. But um, it is great to share with you here in this Christmas season and... Uh, as I hope you're just looking forward to Christmas, because I am. But uh, today, I just want to start by saying, I have a Kit Kat. Yeah, you should celebrate with me. I've got a Kit Kat. No. Who would like a Kit Kat? I saw your hand raise quickly the first. Do you want to yell your name out for everyone who doesn't know your name? Cooper has claimed the Kit Kat. Now, Cooper, I promise you, you can have this Kit Kat. But you have to wait till the end of the sermon. But I promise I will give you this Kit Kat. You hold on to that promise. I'm going to put it right here where you can keep an eye on it. And I promise it's yours. Promise it. Now that Cooper is waiting patiently for that chocolate bar, I'm going to ask you a question today. What is it that you are waiting for? What are you waiting for? Sometimes there's parts of our lives that, that can just seem like a waiting game. Like waiting for that Kit Kat. You could be looking forward to holiday. Ah, man, holidays are great. You could be looking forward to the, the borders opening properly and everything going back to normal. Maybe there's something you, you're, you're wanting to purchase and like you're, you're researching this object and you're just hanging out together and you're waiting for that magical coalescing moment when it goes on sale and you have enough money in your bank account and your wife isn't going to yell at you and you go and you buy that. And when you've saved up enough money, you can get it and you finally own it. Just, ah, oh, the joy that comes from it. Isn't it wonderful? And, and, but the waiting. I find the waiting when I'm looking to buy something just to be almost as fun as getting the thing itself. I find that quite interesting. I wonder if God has ever promised something to you and you were waiting for that promise to come to fruition. Is there something that God said is going to be part of your life, but it hasn't come to pass yet? The thing about God is that, that He always fulfills His promises. He's done it before, He'll do it again. And if you're waiting for God to fulfill a promise that He has promised to you, keep waiting. He's probably got it in store for you. But whatever you're waiting for in life, I wonder if you have the patience to wait for it. I mean, are you able to cope with waiting? For some things, I just can't. 
Uh, for some things, just the waiting is just the most horrible part of the whole game. Uh, sometimes you might try and shortcut the process so you can get there faster, and then the joy is just kind of taken out of it. Uh, sometimes, I mean, are you one of those people that, that just says, are we there yet every 30 minutes or every 30 seconds in the car ride? I mean, waiting to get to the destination can sometimes just feel like a drag, and sometimes we just want it to happen quicker. I want to propose to you today this thing. When we are waiting for something that we know is good, when we're waiting for something that we know is going to be good, there can be an inherent sense of anticipation and joy in the waiting. There can be some joy in the waiting. Like when we're looking forward to a holiday, when we know what's coming, like we just know the rest is coming. We know that the pressure is going to fall off. We know the relaxation can happen. It's just going to be a delight when we get there. And the anticipation of that coming, it can be what gets us through those last couple of weeks of work, can't it? Just the anticipation of the, of the holiday can bring a smile to our face and a, and a sense of joy just builds inside us. And when that does finally come and we're finally on the holiday and we're relaxing in the deck chair or wherever it is that you're relaxing, that joy is finally fulfilled and we can relax and we can enjoy that holiday. Something you might be waiting for is, is the event of Christmas. And uh, worst thing a pastor can say, let's just put the Christian side and the true meaning of Christmas over here for a second. I wonder if you're waiting for like the family gathering, or maybe not, uh, I don't know what you're like, but uh, maybe you're waiting for the food. I know on, on Christmas Day, I'm going to be so gorged, and I won't eat until New Year's Eve, I think. Um, my family just loves food. Maybe you're waiting for presents. Maybe that's, that's what you're hanging out for. In 1992, I was eight years old. And uh, I mean, this year we've seen the release of the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X and new technologies coming through with something called ray tracing, whatever that means. Uh, but there's been so much hype around these video game consoles. When I was eight years old in 1992, we saw the Australian release of the Sega Master System 2. 8-bit console, Alex Kidd built in. I mean, this console was amazing. It was the one with the little flip-top lid on the top. It was black. Um, it had the little cartridges you stuck in with the little brown grid on top. Is anyone old enough to remember the Sega Master System 2? Man, you guys must have been 20 when you got it because there's no way I'm that old. <laughs> but the Sega Master System 2 was a console that came out in 92 and, I mean, there was, there was the Nintendo Entertainment System, the NES, that was also around, but it was way more expensive. The Sega Mega Drive was out as well, but that was way more expensive. I was a responsible kid. And I knew that my family didn't have much money, and I thought, you know what, if I'm ever going to get a console, it's going to be the one that's only $99, comes with a game built in, so you didn't have to spend extra money. I thought, that's the one I want. I can't remember if I asked my parents for it or not, but what I did do is I wished for it, because wishing works, right? Wishing is the thing that works. When I used to walk home from school, I'd catch the bus and get off at the bus stop and walk back to our house. And along the way on the path was always those wish dandelions, you know, those weeds that pop up and that ball of fluff on top. And you pick them and you make your wish and you blow them and the dust goes everywhere and somehow the wish comes true because weeds work like that somehow. But every day on the way home from school, I would pick like a gazillion of these and go, I wish for a Sega Master System too. And like, there was that stuff going everywhere. I was probably propagating these weeds everywhere as I blew them. I did that for a couple of months, and then Christmas Day came. And uh, I remember sitting in my parents' room where we did this, and uh, my parents gave us a couple of uh, Christmas sacks, and I mean, I can't remember what was in them. There was probably some chocolate, some clothes, some small toys. I'm sure they were great, but I'll never forget the moment that my dad left the room and came back in with a big box, and I hoped, and I hoped, and I wished, and I was like, could this be it? And they said, this is a main present for you and your siblings to share. 
And we opened it. And it was a Seagull Master System 2, yes! And man, that anticipation that I had walking home every day from school, wishing on those dandelions was fulfilled. And the joy in my heart, it was, it's etched in my memory. So etched in my memory. I can picture the look on my dad's face with my joy. I remember the look of the TV we had. It was brown and wooden. It had a knob on the front that you pulled to turn it on. I remember seeing the Seagull logo on the screen for the first time. I remember seeing Alex Kid pop up and the music. Dun -dun 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 Little punchy, boop, boop, boop. and then I remember my dad saying, "I'm having first go." <laughs> Man, and then watching him try to play this game, and he doesn't even like video games that much, but he just wanted to have a go before he handed it over us kids. But that was the longest, longest turn my dad has ever had on the game. But then it was my turn, I got to play, and, and man, I loved that thing. That thing brought me so much joy. My wishing dandelion thing, or my parents picking up on my hints, came to happen. It was amazing. And that moment of seeing something that I had longed for and anticipated for and, and hoped for for so long, that was so great. To see the joy that came out of me as an eight-year-old was amazing. But there was joy in the whole process. There was joy in the wanting, there was joy in the longing, there was joy in hoping that something would come. But the waiting isn't always a happy thing either. Sometimes the waiting can be hard. I mean, if we're waiting for something that, that's big and huge, like if you're waiting to have a family, or you're waiting for healing, or some kind of reconciliation with someone you're in conflict with, waiting for um, recognition for something you've done, or waiting for something that's been promised to you, waiting can be hard. Waiting can be hard, especially when it takes a really long time. I promise this Kit Kat won't take a long time. That's what happened to the people of Israel, though. They waited for a really long time. They were waiting for the promise of their everlasting king, their, their Messiah, their promised one. There was a promise back in the Garden of Eden. Uh, after Adam and Eve ate the fruit, God promised that one day there would be a descendant from the line of Eve and Adam who would come and defeat Satan. That was right at the beginning. And then there was a promise to Abraham that his descendants would turn into a full nation. And then there was a promise from Moses through the prophets and through David that a Messiah, an everlasting king who would be their savior and their liberator, it was something the nation of Israel came to anticipate quite strongly. And that promise of Messiah was something that scattered throughout the Hebrew Bible, or what we normally call the Old Testament. But it took a long time to come to pass. A long time to come to pass. Something that sparked interest in me is, is in the New Testament, when they refer back to these prophecies and these promises about the Messiah, is that they always say they were foretold in the law, in the prophets, and the Psalms. <laughs> Psalms. <laughs> Who would have thought that's a prophecy book, right? Like, when I think of Psalms, it's, it's a book of songs. I think of King David. I think of songs of praise, songs of thanksgiving, songs of lament, uh, all the different genres of Psalms. I don't think of prophecy. It's not what first comes to mind. Yet Jesus, he specifically refers to the Psalms when he says himself, sorry, it's really humid in here right now, but he refers to himself and says in Luke chapter 24, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms would be fulfilled. Cool. So, I started looking at the Psalms and started to go, what's, what's in there about Messiah? What is in there about God's promise for the everlasting King? 
And we, and we as Christians, in hindsight, we know looking back that Jesus fulfilled this promise and Jesus is the Messiah. And, and, and thankfully for us as well, scholars exist. So I didn't have to do all the research. I can just look up what other people have already worked out. It's a great thing about other people doing research. And, and here's a list of just some of the references to Messiah that I have found in the Psalms. There's 26 of them. I stopped at 26 because I ran out of space, slash got bored. But there's like nearly 100 references to Messiah in the Psalms. That blew me away. Nearly a hundred references in the Psalms. I mean, there's so much in there. There's prophecies regarding Messiah's birth, the names that he will receive, um, his ministry and what he will do. The Messiah's betrayal and death is in there, his resurrection and his exaltation. So much about the Messiah. Some of the specifics, there's the fact that Messiah will come from the line of David. Messiah will be the king of the Jews. He will be the Lord and the king. He will bring people into the family of God. Messiah will have an eternal throne. He will be a great high priest. He will be the Son of God, just to name a few. There is a lot in the Psalms about God's promise of Messiah. And in the New Testament, it's, it's often the Psalms of David that are used to show that Jesus fulfilled the prophets, the promise of Messiah. They use the Psalms, particularly Psalm 2 and 110. Those two Psalms get used a lot. They're often called royal Psalms because they refer to a king. Um, and and they're, they're, Psalm 2 describes Messiah being God's begotten son, that he is God's chosen king. He will rule from Jerusalem and he will rule over the earth. The Apostle Peter, in his first sermon in Acts chapter 4, uh, just after Pentecost, he used Psalm 2 himself as his basis for, for showing that Jesus is the true Messiah, that he is indeed the Son of God, that he fulfilled what was written in Psalm 2. He even used Psalm 16, another one of David's, which, which foresaw Jesus' resurrection. And he said, this Jesus is the one that was written about in the Psalms. The Psalms contain a lot of promise for Messiah. I thought that was great. The author of Hebrews looks at Psalms as well. The author of Hebrews writes that, um, using Psalm 2 as well, he, he writes that Jesus has been exalted to the right hand of God, that he fulfilled the prophecy of being the exalted Son of God. He even references directly Psalm 110, uh, when he talks about Jesus has been made a great high priest in the order of Melchizedek that Jesus is the heir of God, that he is seated at God's right hand, that he's defeated his enemies, his enemies have been made into his footstool. And the author attributes all this to Jesus, that he has ascended to heaven, that his work on the cross in defeating sin and Satan is completed. These New Testament writers recognize the value of the promise that was found in the Psalms. What an interesting book to locate it all. You would have thought it'd be like all the prophets in like Kings and Samuel, all the minor prophets listed like Isaiah, like there's a lot in them but there's also heaps in Psalms. And if Peter and the author of Hebrews could find Jesus being fulfilled through the words of the Psalms, I mean, how would David know these things to write them as he's composing his Psalms? I mean, it's not like he was just searching for a good Psalm lyric and going, oh, I'm going to have fun with my future kids. They're going to imagine what I've been really meaning here. Let's just write this. That sounds like a good prophecy. I don't think David did that at all. I think David was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write those words in the Psalms. I mean, some of them would have had double meaning. David would have uh, written them and gone, oh, maybe this is about me, maybe they're about Israel. But with hindsight, we can see they might apply to both. Both to David as king and as the messianic king. I also think David probably had some understanding, some inkling about what he was writing, was referring to the promise of what was to come. So you can see the hope that David had in Psalms. You can see it there. It even strikes me that sometimes when David writes a lament psalm, if you don't know what a lament psalm is, it's, it's where David, in his depression and his anxiety and pain, uh, writes, uh, just crying out to God, basically he's lamenting. 
Some of those Psalms often end with David expressing his hope and joy in the promise of what's to come, and it lifts him out of his lament. He'll be going, oh, woe is me, I wish I was dead. But you know what? God has something in store. God is amazing. I'm going to focus on that instead. For David, waiting for the promise of the Messiah was a source of his joy, one of the places where he found his joy. Even 1,000 years before Jesus was born, David had a hope for God's promises being fulfilled. In knowing what God had in store, David found a peace and a hope and a joy that cut through everything he was feeling. And he served God knowing that God had made this promise to him that Messiah would come from his lineage. He served God knowing that God had so much in store for him and the people of Israel and for us today. Now, of course, David didn't get to see the fulfillment of these promises. Um, Like I said, David existed a thousand years before Jesus was born. There's no way he lived that long. Jesus wasn't born until many generations later, and yet the promise of the coming Messiah was something that the people of Israel held on to really tightly. And it became so much more meaningful, especially when they ended up going into exile, when their nation was plunged into ruin almost. Um, The nation was taken from their homeland. They were no longer a kingdom. They were no longer a a kingship. They were taken away. No longer in Israel, taken as, as people who were conquered. And for the people of Israel to have this promise of an everlasting king, someone who would be their savior and who would be liberating them, this took on new meaning. And they held on to it really tightly as a promise for their eventual restoration. This hope of a king who would rise up and free them from their oppressors. Yet we know Jesus didn't just come to free Israel from their oppressors, but also to free humanity from the oppression of sin. Jesus, fulfilling the promise of Messiah, did something so much more than Israel could ever have hoped for. Jesus didn't just restore a nation, he was restoring humanity. And I think that's pretty incredible. This promise of Messiah was fulfilled in Jesus and the joy we can see in people in the New Testament as they come to understand this is palpable. It, it just jumps off the page. Jasmine read for us the story of Simeon, who was perhaps one of the first people to realize that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. And, and as I read this, just see if you can sense the joy that's in him. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day the Spirit led him to the temple. And so when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. You see, Simeon recognized that this baby he was holding was the Messiah. He recognized that Jesus was going to fulfill this promise. The fulfillment had arrived. Along with all of Israel, he had been anticipating this moment, and the joy just spilling out of him at being able to finally see this child. He was finally at peace. He knew God had promised that he would get to see the Messiah, and he was ready to die. His joy is right there for us to read. Can you sense it? And we live in the fulfillment of that promise. Not not just in terms of that moment, but our salvation is found in Jesus' work on the cross. Our salvation is found in that our hope is based in Jesus and who He is. The fact that He's the incarnation of God coming down to earth to, to lead humanity back to Himself. That is a source and a basis of joy for all of us. And that joy shouldn't fade either. One of my favorite things to do is lead young people uh, towards baptism. 
When they ask, can they be baptized, we take them through a couple of sessions where uh, they can uh, explore the story of God interacting with humanity. They can explore what is baptism and uh, just to make sure they understand what it is they're getting into. And we talk about the symbolism and we talk about how baptism is, is symbolic of us dying to our old self and our sin and rising up in the resurrection with Christ. And every time I go through these sessions, I find myself just getting excited and rising up with joy. And that, like when I got that Sega and I went, whoa, like I'll be sitting at the table with these kids and, and they're just going, what are you on? Because I'm getting excited and the smile grows and, and just realizing who this Jesus is all over again. I mean, I've been a Christian most of my life and just reading this booklet helps me go, wow, isn't God great? And the joy grows again. I mean, I don't know what it is for you that refuels your joy about Jesus. Whatever it is, don't let yourself become complacent. Find your fuel and, and let, it, let it refuel you so it doesn't become a distant memory. Because if we let it, joy can fade. That Sega Master System I got for Christmas all the way back in 92, eventually I stopped playing it. Eventually it stopped bringing me joy. I finished Alex Kid. I finally got Sonic the Hedgehog and I played that and I finished that. But then it sat on the shelf. Until like a year or two later, I saw it there and went, oh, I should play that again. And it brought me a little bit more joy. But whatever it is that makes you excited about Jesus, don't let him just be like, oh, I finished that game. I've read that book. Don't just let it sit on a shelf. Refuel yourself. Let that grow. Let that be your joy. David's trust in God, along with his hope for the coming Messiah, it likely helped him to continually find and ground his joy in God and in that promise of a future Messiah. We also don't live just in the fulfillment of the Messiah either. We also live awaiting another promise of God's, and that is the promise of Jesus' return. When he will gather all his believers together and when this time and age will end, we'll enter into the coming age where God's victory will be present and, and fulfilled. I mean, he's already won it, but it's going to be completely fulfilled. We w- await the promise of that return. And that's a source of joy for us too, because uh, it means the end of this time, our circumstances will be um, gone beyond. Like we have hope beyond what is here now. We have a hope for the future in, in seeing God's victory come to pass. And like David awaiting Messiah, we can live in hope and, and anticipation as well of Christ's second coming. But that promise that David held on to, that we see fulfilled in Jesus' birth, we pick up that Christian bit about Christmas again and bring it back, like every good pastor should. That very thing we celebrate at Christmas is Jesus entering into our world in inauspicious circumstances, but He is the incarnation of God in our world. God promised this long ago and He fulfilled it. And it brings joy. People were waiting for it and it got fulfilled and it brought joy. Even think of the angels. The angels were probably anticipating this moment for a long time themselves. And and when it finally came, the response of the angels was to appear to a bunch of shepherds and just um, shout praises and joy and sing glory to God and, and probably confuse the shepherds as well. But their response is the right one, that they have seen God's promise that was being waited for for so long be fulfilled. It's certainly a praiseworthy moment. Whatever you're waiting for in life, I hope you're able to find joy in the waiting and the anticipation, looking forward to what is to come, and and, and the hope and the anticipation of the goodness that is coming your way. I hope it brings you joy and lifts your spirit. But I also hope that you can recognize that the joy that has come into this world thousands of years ago is here, and we can share in that joy too. God fulfills His promises. He's done it before. He will do it again. I can fulfill a promise here today. I did promise a Kit Kat to Cooper. Cooper, you waited and stared at this thing all sermon. 
I fulfill my promise to you. Enjoy it. As we go through this Advent season, I implore you to remember and maybe think on these things. That we get to live in fulfillment of the promise that David only hoped for. That we, that we can live with access to God and salvation because of the cross. That the fulfillment of this promise means that, that God chose to enter our world and lead us back to Himself. What a wonderful gift God has given to us. That hope and joy is rooted in Jesus. And also we have this second promise that we await Christ's return. May that bring you joy as well. Let's pray together. God, I want to thank you so much for the promises in your word, that you have made promises that you have fulfilled. You've made promises that are yet to be fulfilled. And God, we live right now in the fulfillment of your great promise of Messiah, where Jesus came. God, as we celebrate this Christmas time again, help us to remember the joy that should come from that. Help us to find it that that song, Joy to the World, would be meaningful for us. God, help us to continue to trust you, especially when we are waiting for promises. Help us to hold on to them, that we can find joy in anticipation of you fulfilling them. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand as we sing our last song.